Let's turn then to Mark chapter 4 and have a look at this together. So we're looking at Jesus and parables. Um, I wasn't sure whether we would look at just the first 20 verses or squeeze in a little bit more to verse 34. We'll see what we can do. So the question is really, what is all this about parables? What's going on when Jesus speaks in this way? So let's pray and ask for help. Lord, we do pray that you will help us to hear your word as you said to these people all those years ago that those who have ears to hear let them hear amen amen Amen. so let's first of all do a little attempt at a definition what is a parable well what is a parable I think a useful definition for a parable in the Bible would be to say it's a method or a particular example of communication where one thing or one situation is likened to another. So Jesus doesn't, uh, I particularly think of the the teaching of Jesus, but there there are parables in the Old Testament as well, and the word parable seems to include quite a lot of different types of of, uh, communication but uh, particularly when when Jesus does this he likens one thing to another so you can see this in 4 26 and 30 where he says this is what the kingdom of God is like so he says you know the kingdom of God which I'm speaking about is like something else that you will be familiar with or in verse 30 what shall we say the kingdom of God is like or what parable shall we use to describe it? So it's again, it's this question of one thing being like another. We've already had an example of a parable in chapter 3, verse 23, when you remember Jesus was accused of casting out demons by the power of Satan And Jesus said, what you're really saying is Satan's driving out Satan, so you're calling me Satan. And uh, he answered that by means of a parable, and it's there in verse 23. Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. And the parable, I think, is particularly in view there, is the parable of, it's like burgling a strong man's house who can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. So Jesus is saying, what I'm referring to is like this. It's like breaking into a strong man's house, taking off his TV, taking off his iPad, taking away all his stuff. And really to do that, you've got to deal with the strong man. You've got to tie him up. And that was Jesus's answer to the accusation he was doing by the power of Satan. He says, no, it's not an internal Division, Satan versus Satan, it's actually an invasion from the outside. A stronger one is coming to 
that strong man and binding him and dealing him up, dealing with him, binding him up. There are other parables as well. For example, Mark 12, 12. Unless we should think that a parable equals a Sunday school story about little animals and um, furry, furry things. Uh, in Mark 12, 12, Jesus tells the parable of the tenants. And in this likeness, he says it's like, uh, like um, a letting agent who goes to the tenants to get the rent and they refuse to do it. And in the end, the landlord, instead of sending a letting agent, sends his own son. And in uh, Mark 12, round about verse 12, uh, in fact, verse 8, in the parable, the, letting a, uh, the, the landlord's son gets killed by the tenants uh, on the presumption that if they kill the landlord's son, they can grab the vineyard for themselves. And uh, this is, uh, it might sound like a rather bizarre story, but the listeners, verse 12, then they looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. So they were so incensed by what this parable was saying that uh, they, they wanted to arrest Jesus and kill him. So parables are not, uh, not necessarily safe. It's used 12 times in Mark, and just, as an, just to give you a little idea of the range of the, the idea of a parable, if you look in Hebrews 9, 9, you will see the same word is used, but it isn't translated parable. So Hebrews 9.9 9 talks about the Old Testament provisions for meeting with God, with the temple and the ark and the curtains and the priests and sacrifices and so on. And Hebrews 9.9 9 says, this is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. Well, the word that we translate there, illustration, is the word parable. So that whole thing is, in some sense, a parable, uh, some, a figure, uh, a, an illustration, as the trans uh, NIV translation puts it. And 11.19 in Hebrews, again, just to give us an, an example of the the range of meanings. Thank you very much. One two o nine. Um, so again, this is. We don't have to concern ourselves with the, the main argument of it, but it, it refers back to Abraham, who was uh, instructed to kill his son as a sacrifice, and at the last minute, God said, "No, stop. That's not going to happen." And. Abraham had his son back again, as it were, and in Hebrews 11:19, Abraham uh, reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. And again, the word there is parable. So I think that just makes us think it, it has quite a wide range of meanings. In a parabolic sense, he received his son back from the dead. Uh, it was somehow like that, figuratively or whatever. So that's just to um, try to 
show us the sort of things that we're talking about. Let's look at how it works in this text. So I've done a little map. I'm going to not try to go into too much detail, but the, I've done a little map of the, the, the Mark IV text. So it begins with Jesus by the sea with the crowds. And that's a familiar situation. Jesus, uh, we've seen this a, a number of times, that uh, there are so many people pushing and pressing, falling over one another, not necessarily behaving in a civilized manner, um, not necessarily really understanding what Jesus is on about. But he persists with them, and again, do you notice it says, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat out in it on the lake while the people were along the shore at the water's edge. And that's, that's happened uh, a few times before. And while he's speaking to them, he tells them the parable of the sower. And he says, sower goes out to sow his field and all sorts of different things happen when he sows the, uh, the seed, chucks it out, lands in all sorts of different places with all sorts of different results. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And I wonder what they thought. Perhaps they thought, yeah, do have different results when you sow a field. Or whether they thought, what's he getting at? Well, let's find out a bit later what he was getting at. When he was alone with the 12 and the others around him, so 12 plus other sort of inner circle people, they asked him about the parables. And he says that the, king, the secret of the kingdom has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So he, he makes this distinction between the people on the outside and the people in the house the people on the inside. To them, I speak in parables. To you, I give you the key, the secret, the understanding. Um, and he quotes Isaiah 6. And if you care to check the quote, it's in the chapter where Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up and that his train fills the temple and it's an amazing, awesome picture of God in his holiness and Isaiah in his sinfulness, nevertheless asking that he might serve so holy a master. And in Isaiah 6 verse 9, what does God tell him to do? He says, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And what an um, unexpected uh, commission that is. 
And what he's saying is, I want you to go and speak to these people. I want you to go and preach your heart out to them. I want you to tell them everything as clearly and as strongly and as definitely and as winsomely as you possibly can. And then they'll hear and hear, but they'll not understand. And the, the clearer you make it, the less they'll understand it. And the more you say it to them, the more hard they're going to get. And in the end, uh, they will be hardened and they won't turn and they won't be healed and this is the process I want you to go through and this is the process that I'm going to superintend with you preaching and these people getting harder and that's, that's what it's saying in Isaiah and it's really hard to swallow isn't it but that I can't see any other interpretation of this text and this is what Jesus quotes why, Lord, tell us what's going on with parables? You're speaking to all these people. Well, says Jesus, what's happening is that what happened with Isaiah is happening here again. I speak in parables. They're all listening. They're falling over one another, listening, having a good laugh, thinking how wonderful it all is, and they all come back the next day and listen again, but they're ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. And the upshot is that they won't turn and be forgiven. And you see what I mean when I say the parables, you think it's nice and simple, but actually if you look at it, it's really deeply mysterious. And Jesus then goes on to say, well, I'm, don't you understand? Are you getting hard? And that's one of the, one of the issues that goes on through Mark's gospel. Jesus says things to his disciples, are you so stupid? Are you so dull? Have I been with you so long? You still don't get the idea. Uh, and he says it here, don't you? Do you, un do you not understand this parable? This, this parable is sort of the key, the master parable. It unlocks everything else. If you don't understand this, you're not going to understand anything. And he interprets it. He says, here are the key points for you to get. This sower is sowing something which produces the effect, and what he sows is the word, the message. That's what he's doing. He's telling the message. Did you not see me doing that this morning, guys? As it were, Jesus is saying, what was I doing in the boat? I was sowing the word, wasn't I? And what was happening while I was in the boat sowing the word? Well, some of them, uh, some of the people heard it, thought it was uh, great, and immediately forgot it. And the first conversation they had when I'd stopped was, have you heard what's happened to my auntie's sister? They hadn't, it hadn't gone in at all. It had, it had just bounced off them, and he says, that's Satan that does that. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. And he says, what else was happening? Well, it was like uh, the, the bit about sowing uh, seed in rocky places. Well, that was happening too. There were some people in that crowd who said, this is great. Jesus is brilliant. Oh, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And they hadn't really thought about it. And when they, got, when they, when they go home the day after tomorrow, and they say to um, the, you know, Uncle So-and-so, who's a professor in the, uh, in the rabbinical school, I'm going to follow Jesus. And the, and, the, and the professor says, no, you're not. He's totally out of order. He's not loyal to our traditions. And if you follow him, you're going to be disinherited. And they're going to just fall away. They're going to crumble under that pressure. And that's, that's what's been happening, says Jesus. And uh, because there's no root, there's no depth they haven't thought it through. They haven't really 
taken in properly. Uh, and they're like these people. When trouble or persecution comes away because of the, comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And still others, he says, well, what was happening? Uh, some others, they, they got it. It went in there. But I tell you, in a couple of weeks' time, when they find that there's something wrong with the wife's pregnancy or when they find that uh, they can't keep up uh, the payments on the, uh, on the farm or, or, or something like that, when trouble, uh, when the worries of this life, or perhaps actually they get on very well with the farm and they get a huge bumper crop this year and they think, well, we've got loads of money. And that will get to them. The worries of this life or the deceitfulness of wealth or, or the desire for other things co come in and little by little the, the, the enthusiasm they had for me and what I was saying says Jesus will just ebb away and will be choked off and you come back in a few years and say that Jesus you were really keen on him weren't you and they said oh well I was young then I mean I was impressionable in those days no I, I've got the real thing now I'm investing you know in the in the Jerusalem stock market or something like that. And it says there'll be no fruitfulness in their lives at all. And, and, and to be unfruitful is to say the least a risky position to be in. And I think you could go further and to say if there is no fruit, really there's no fruit, then there's no faith and there's no spiritual life. And that's dead as a doornail. He says, mind you, there were other people as I was saying, who were, who were thinking. And they were hearing, and they said, I think this Jesus has got something. And they, were, they thought about it, and it went down deep. And they accepted the word, verse 20. And you know, with some of them, not, not all of them, but just with some of them, that is going to produce such a change in their lives. They're gonna be different people, and they're gonna be different people forever. And people are going to see the things that come out of their lives and the things that they say, and people are going to be impressed by them. People are going to say, I, don't, I want some of what they've got. And they're going to produce fruit. Uh, and this is the way uh, uh, farming works, isn't it? You sow the seed. You don't want to just see it all disappear. You want fruit back from it. And they'll sow seed, and they'll be 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. And Jesus interprets the parable for them. So we've got the sower, we've got this, this sort of secret inside, outside, we've got the interpretation for the people on the inside, and then going back to the outside with this, there's a parable about putting a lamp in a certain position. So I'm afraid I'm not gonna say very much about that because I hadn't thought it through what it says. So I haven't had ears to hear, so I can't tell you anything about it. But Jesus says, there's another one, think about that. But what I can say that, that he, he stops on this theme of responsibility. Because you might have been thinking, ah, oh, this all sounds very Calvinistic, this sort of God's sovereign hardening of people, and you know, it's all, uh, nothing you can do about that, you just, just um, it's all in God's hands and, uh, and so on. But actually Jesus says, I mean, he's not unsaying that God is sovereign, but he's saying, well, here's another fact. You guys, you need to, to give attention to how you hear. Verse 24, consider carefully what you hear, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. 
So he's saying that the hearer is in a very responsible position. That you, by listening, are giving something and putting something into the process. And he says, I want you to be very careful how you do that. So, you know, there's, a, there's an active hearing. If you've got ears, then hear. Put something into that process. So in a practical term, you might uh, very well want to pray when, as when before you come to church and say, Lord, I don't want this to be a pointless, fruitless exercise. Please wake me up, help me to hear, and please certainly wake up the preacher so that he's got something to say. Uh, and listening, you know, I know people take notes. I find that really helpful, actually. So that, of course, I, I quickly forget what somebody said, but to write it down a little bit uh, just helps, helps the concentration. And, and he's saying all sorts of things like that. Give something into that process. Make sure that it doesn't just waft over you. And if you're in the habit of coming along and, you know, I was, this is nap time, uh, he says, you know, woe to you, really, because I know that sometimes the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But if, if, if that's your settled attitude, I come along to church for a nice sleep, he says, well, woe to you for that, because... When that word goes out, when that message goes out, crucial things are happening. Your eternal destiny is resting on the way you respond. And if you've got ears and you don't bother hearing them, you know, if you've got a hearing aid and you switch it off for the sermon because it'll disturb you and you just like a nice snooze, he says, woe to you for that. Even what you had will be taken away. But those who... Um, who has will be given more. I'm not trying to get at you if you've had no sleep and you've done your very best to come along here this evening and you've, you've, you've managed thus far, but you're flagging. I'm not going to look in case anybody is. But I'm not trying to get at you, but I'm just trying to make that, that point. It is important, the hearing of the message. And then Jesus gives another, uh, another parable in verses 26 uh, to 29. This one is about sowing and harvest. Um, I'm, I'm risking getting in the wrong place in my notes here, and um, I've probably, I'm probably falling into the trap of doing that. Anyway, I'll continue. Um, this one is about the process of getting a harvest. I will wait because I've got another slide for that. The next one is about the disproportionate growth of the kingdom. What is the kingdom of God like? It's like a mustard seed, which is tiny. And when you plant it, amazingly, you get this large tree in your garden. I'll come back to that one again. And bear in mind, all the way through, we've got this division between the way he deals with the crowd and the way he deals with the disciples. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. It's interesting that Jesus does take account of the capacity of the, of the multitude, but it, he did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, 
he explained everything to them. So you've got all the way through that dichotomy of the, the, the parables for the crowd, but for the, those privileged to be on the inside, they get the explanation. Right, this is where you see how my... my um, I've got ahead of myself. So why parables? Well, I think the one, that's exactly what Jesus was asked. Why do you speak in parables? And the, one thing that he doesn't say is because sermons, sermon illustrations enliven a, a sermon. Now, it's gen generally accepted that they do, although I'm sure it would be different in different cultures. But it's not the same question as, if I was teaching Sunday school, would it be a good idea to do some visual aids? It's not the same question as that. It's not the same question as, um, if I'm doing Sunday school, should I give them an activity and that will help them to remember things better? It's much more mysterious than that because what was his, what was his answer? Because in parables, people are given an opportunity. People are engaged. People listen. And in that crucial moment, they can either respond positively or they can get harder and harder and harder. And there's that crucial thing about response to the word being the key factor. And it, it, it's a very, what shall I say, um, keenly, sharply uh, produced point there was the see I did get ahead of myself there was the uh, parable of the sower, it's the same seed it's the same seed but produces all those different effects on the path, in the shallow soil in the thorns, in the good soil the path where Satan snatches the shallow soil where there's no deep root, the thorns where the word is choked and the good soil where it's multiplied n times where n is an integer could be 30, 60, or 100. So let's ponder this just for a moment. I think this says something to us about how important hearing is. Take good care how we hear. The parables require effort from the hearer, and in that sense, they're like every other ministry of God's word. It's a bit frightening, actually. It's a bit frightening to think that as we sit and listen to somebody speaking from the front things are being sealed eternally I think, that's, I think that's quite a big responsibility for the person at the front but it's also a big responsibility for the hearers and I have an awful lot of sympathy for, for people who are hearing because whatever you get is always human isn't it, it, it it's, uh, uh, you can always find things to criticize or distract or whatever but Jesus is having none of that he's saying if you if you're hearing the message you must if, if that's what you're hearing you need to pay great attention don't use it as the opportunity to you know what's going to church an opportunity to catch up with my friends over coffee what it is is the opportunity to hear the word that saves our souls that's what's the opportunity for and he says, treat it seriously, for goodness sake. 
And then here's another, uh, here's another point to ponder, that all the while this is happening, God is working out his sovereign purposes, including privileges and hardening. Now just think about the privileges. To some people, Jesus gives the insight into the secret of the kingdom. That's a gift. Do you know, see how in, in this whole thing, gift and responsibility are just woven together uh, in, in an almost seamless way. Human responsibility and God's sovereignty is woven together. And uh, it, he says, you make sure you're listening. But at the same time, he says, you've been given the gift of understanding and the people outside haven't. And you might well say, well, why was I given this gift? What have I done to deserve it? And I don't know the answer to that. But if you've been given the gift, if you find as you're listening, you're not thinking, what on earth is he going on about? But thinking, I know, I can see that. I know the Jesus that he's talking about. I understand the gospel that he's referring to. If you've got that, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but the Father in heaven, you've been given a gift. Be grateful for it. God is working out his sovereign purposes, including privilege. He talks about given, a secret, a mystery. To you it's been given. And it includes the hardening that I referred to before. It in includes this mysterious thing that, uh, well, we, we experience this as a church, don't we? We try really hard with people. We uh, look out for them and pray for them and know them by name and befriend them and uh, help them to, to, to listen to the Bible or something like that but all of a sudden we wake up and we find they're not interested they've, they've gone off it uh, they've got hard uh, and, and sometimes with great patience people can be won back but it's an extraordinarily difficult thing to do and Jesus says you know this is going on as well you're right there in the middle of God's sovereign purposes. Let's, uh, let's move on to see what I had on the last sheet. So thinking about this kingdom that Jesus is telling us about, which as you may remember from way back, it's a kingdom of the word rather than a kingdom of the sword. Because the people were probably expecting a kingdom of the sword. And in these last uh, couple of parables, Jesus says, uh, you might think that this is all going to happen now, that if since Messiah has come, that's it, bang, totally new world, everything. He says, it is, in a sense, this is one of the new teachings that Jesus brings, that the coming of the kingdom is not bang or here, but there's process to it and time and delay. So uh, in that parable 26 to 29, he says the word is sown and uh, the farmer, he, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces corn 
uh, then the ear, then the full so stalk, ear, full grain, harvest. And he says, look, this is, this is the way it is in the kingdom. Please don't think that because the button of human responsibility has been pressed, you know, ears to hear, hear, hear. Don't think, don't think that it's just you and you can take credit for it. Say, look, aren't I wonderful? All the responses that are in me and all the responses that uh, I see around me. He says, it's, it's, God uses you, but it isn't down to you because actually you could all go to sleep and God's word would still work all by itself. There is a, a, a story of Luther. I don't know whether it's true because I haven't looked it up. Uh, Martin Luther and his uh, associate, uh, Philip Melanchthon, and somebody said, Martin Luther, you have, you know, during the course of your life, you've seen Europe changed with the Protestant Reformation, and how do you account for this great transformation uh, and this, you know, kingdoms being turned upside down and, and huge changes across the church for the better? Uh, and the reply was, uh, Philip and I just drank our beer and the word of God did its work. No, I might not even have remembered it properly, but you get the idea. I mean, he, he was very laid back about it in that sense. It's God's work. And here's a, a parable that says that. And then another parable about the disproportionate growth. This is one of the things that's going on. You get this tiny little seed, this sort of insignificant message. You know, it's not on the Today program and it's not on the world at one and John Humphreys doesn't really have a clue about what the Christian message is. It's this tiny little insignificant thing and yet you plant it in somebody's life and it changes everything. You plant this in a society and it changes the society. You plant this in the world with starting off with 12 disciples and you can change the face of the globe. It, that's what it's like. That's what the kingdom is like. It doesn't happen overnight, but it takes time. And this is the nature, the amazing nature of the word. So, God's at some sort of points to ponder on that. God's sovereignty grows his kingdom, but using effort, but not, and I couldn't think of how to finish that, not, not relying on it. Yes, yes. Human effort isn't the bottom line. It's part of it, but it's not the bottom line. The bottom line is that God does his work and his word does its work. And God produces amazing results via his word, via his gospel in the kingdom. Uh, just like that tree, you wouldn't have expected it from the little packet of seeds that you got, but this is what happens. It's what happens in the natural world, and Jesus says, and the spiritual world is like that. And I thought we could perhaps learn that we need patient persistence if this is the nature of his kingdom, we need patient persistence. And I put, first of all, with ourselves, because we can get frustrated with ourselves. Why, can't, why aren't I more spiritual? Why can't I grow more quickly? Why do I keep doing the same, having the same problems over and over again? 
I think that this, these parables are saying, you know, God does work, but it doesn't happen instantaneously. You know, there's, a, there's a process to go through. And also to be patient and persistent with the mission of the church. So at the last FIC leaders meeting, John Stevens was saying, now was he saying this or have I just imagined it, that the decline of the church in the UK has been over decades. You could perhaps take it back almost to the beginning of the 20th century. The church has been declining and said, we should aim to reverse that, but we should aim long term. That won't be done. In uh, you know uh, before Christmas, it, we we need to be planning for years and decades ahead, and putting into into place things now to train people up and tell them, you need to be working. You know, if you're 18 year old or whatever, you need to be working through your lifetime and to keep on working. Maybe tell people that you meet later on. They'll need to be working through their lifetime to, to see the gospel progress. Patient perseverance, patience and persistence with ourselves. And then finally, I think the bottom line is trust in God. Because underneath all this, this amazing web of responsibility and process and action and decision and crisis and everything, underneath this, it, it's God who's doing his work. And I think that gives us a great basis for confidence. Let's stop there.